3: This is Follow the Money on VSIN. Hockey starts Friday. VSIN Hockey Season Prep Guide available now. Strategies, best bets for the season ahead. In depth analysis from Andy McNeil. Predictions for teams, players, win totals, daily betting tips. Plus, three things every new NHL better should know. Guide's a must-have, key insights and data for avid hockey bettors and those new to the sport. Give yourself an edge this season. Get the VEASAN hockey season prep guide. Become a VEASAN pro subscriber today.
0: VEASAN.com slash Get up there. All right, time now for uh, bet systems as VEASAN's team of betting experts teach you how they approach the slate with bet systems. And uh, VEASAN's very own Josh Eppelbaum joins the program now host of a couple of podcasts here, the v Sin Daily Morning Bets and Market Insights. Josh, good morning. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great, Mitch and Paul Great to be with you. Final day MLB, and luckily we do have one football game tonight in college football, so it's great to be with you on this Wednesday. Yeah,
0: so it's a full slate. It is a tricky handicap in this game tonight. The news came out earlier this week that a bunch of uh, players who don't have an impact on this year's SMU team, redshirt freshmen, that kind of a thing, they're all going to be looking to transfer and get out of the program but uh, now this game's been moved a couple of times as well, impacted by weather. Central Florida's at home. They're laying two and a half now below that key number of three. Your overall thoughts on the handicap of this game?
2: Yeah, so I'm with you here, Mitch. It's kind of a fishy number, fishy line move, but I actually like this line move toward SMU. So I jumped on SMU plus three in this one. What's notable to me, the line move toward SMU. This game actually opened UCF at home, laying three and a half early. A lot of wise guys look like they grabbed the hook with a three and a half, brought it down to three. And now you're seeing a lot of juice on that SMU side. If you look at our. Our VEASAN board, you know, that two and a half plus two and a half is my is or actually the plus three is minus one fifteen. Like it may get down to two and a half. Some shops are even down to two and a half as we speak. So key numbers are so critical here. If you like SMU in the line move, you need the three. If you want to buy low, I guess at this point, take UCF. You want the minus two and a half. But I'd be careful about, you know, something that looks too good to be true, guys. It seems like, you know, UCF at home is an easy play here. But according to our VEASAN.com bet splits, 65 percent of bets are on UCF. So they're the public play tonight. Yet the line's not going in their favor. They didn't move up to four or four and a half. They're falling down toward SMU. Uh, So a reverse line move here on SMU. Also, they're only getting 35% bets, but 60% of the money. That's a pretty good bet discrepancy contrarian with more money in favor of SMU. And also kind of just a classic buy low sell high. You know, you look at SMU, they've lost two straight. They're 0-3 ATS their last three games. They haven't covered any of these numbers. So public who bet against them is going to continue to bet against them. Public who bet on them is mad they cost the money. They're going to want to fade them. To sell high on UCF, too, because they've won two straight. So in this game tonight, again, it's baseball, you know, day games all day. This is really the only big game of the night. It's heavily bet, prime time, heavy betting here on UCF at home, yet the line is going to SMU. Also like conference dogs who can score, guys. SMU is averaging 39 points a game, whether that's keeping up or backdoor covering. Also conference dogs with some familiarity benefits, uh, the dog in these conference rivalry games. And also, guys, two teams that score a lot, you feel like it's going to be a high-scoring game. But I wouldn't just go run and hammer that over because it has fallen here. It opened 65, down to 63. That's notable to me because public's taking the over, yet this total's falling. But I'll be rocking uh, SMU plus three tonight.
3: What do you think uh, Thursday night football with Denver at
2: home against the Colts and now maybe the the status of Taylor here could play an important role? Yeah, Paulie, this one's really tough for me because I think, you know, last couple primetime games we've had some clear, sharp moves, you know, with San Francisco, with uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, some pay the trendy dog spots. This one's difficult because the public is split down the middle 50-50. It's, it's really don't know where to go with this one. You know, if you lean on the market, we have seen some movement here, obviously toward the Denver Broncos. You know, they opened up laying two and a half, got all the way up to three and a half. So the early move was going to Denver. But now you did see some buyback on the plus three and a half with the hook, bring it back down to Colts plus three. And this is kind of a layoff for me because, number one, there's no contrarian angle split right down the middle. The line's going to Denver, but now it's coming back to the Colts. You have seen dogs. Do very well this year overall. They're 60% ATS. Primetime dogs are 59% ATS. Uh, But also, guys, these Thursday night games, this is why it's so difficult. You have seen these home favorites do very well. If you look at the past decade, home favorites on Thursday night, short week, you don't have to travel. They're 56% ATS. Big injury report here, game to monitor. Taylor's questionable. Javante Williams is out. Wilson's banged up, but he's going to play. My angle, guys, I'm going to bypass the spread. There's no clear edge for me. I'm going to go to the under here. It opened 43 and a half. Down to 42 and a half. You've seen unders 59% this year. Primetime unders 9-4. Colts are 4-0 to the under. Denver's three and one to the under. No edge on the spread, but I'll be rocking the under uh 42 and a half.
3: All right. I'm with you on that one. How about Sunday night with the Ravens at home against Cincinnati? Good matchup.
2: Yeah, great matchup. Can't wait to sweat this one here, Paulie. You know, what we've seen here is an early move toward uh the the uh the Cincinnati Bengals. This game opened at some shops, Ravens laying three and a half at home. Public isn't quitting the Ravens, even though they've been they've been coughing up these leads. They've been hard to sweat. You're feeling good about them early. And then Harbaugh, you know, just depending on your decision-making, what you think you should have done or shouldn't, has been paying off here. He's been coughing up these leads. But the public isn't quitting Lamar Jackson. At our VEASAN.com bets, but 65% of bets are laying the number here with the Baltimore Ravens. Yet yeah, the 3.5 got down to 3. So you have seen this movement toward the Bengals. But keep an eye out. You know, the minus 3 is juiced up. At a lot of shops, minus one fifteen to Baltimore. So I think it may get back up to three and a half. So if you like Baltimore, three is probably your best number. I'm gonna hold out for the hook here, guys, on the Cincinnati Bengals. Primetime dogs are fifty-nine percent ATS this year. Joe Burrow 13 and seven against the spread, 65% in this career as a dog. Also, a rest advantage. I think you got to pay attention to kind of the schedule now that we're getting you know a month into the season. Cincinnati played on a Thursday, Baltimore played Sunday. You have a couple extra days here to rest, rehab, and game plan for the Bengals. So Divisional dog, primetime dog, contrarian angle. I'm going to hold out, see if I can get the hook, plus three and a half with the Bengals.
0: You can follow Josh on Twitter. He is at Josh underscore insights. And again, listen, subscribe, download to his podcast. Two of them, the v Daily, Morning Bets, and also Market Insights. Uh, great job as always, Josh. Thanks for the time today. Good luck this week. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great day. Yep. Thank you. So what he was saying about the SMU game tonight against Central Florida, I would agree with what he said because it does seem a little fishy. And I don't, like last night, the Diamondbacks felt fishy to me in baseball. That number was too short, in my opinion. I still bet it, and I got pounded on it uh, last night. This game does seem fishy tonight. He pointed out many reasons why, and he, he told he's going to, he, you know, everybody bet SMU plus three points. I watched that game on a Friday night when they
3: lost at home to Louisville, and they did nothing in the second half. So uh, that, that's cause for concern with Central Florida. You would think they'd have the edge, though, when you move a game twice. I would think the home team would have the edge. I would, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing is SMU is off two wars. The, the game against Maryland, the rivalry game against TCU. So he's right. They can score. Mordecai's a good quarterback. But uh, it, it's you know something's got to give game because UCF's off to a good start defensively. But I don't know. Uh, good, tough matchup,
0: intriguing matchup, and tough handicap. But I, I would lean with the home team. Well, if I recall correctly, I, I want to say SMU, they were getting blown out in that TCU game, weren't they? Did they come back to make it look respectful? Yes. And TCU does that to everybody now that we've seen. Yeah. So uh, they were never really in that game. Um, The game tomorrow night, too, we'll have much more on this tomorrow. But if if Taylor doesn't go and already he's not having a good season at all for the Colts, the running back there, but they're catching three and a half and also the Broncos are banged up, um, I'm kind of with him on that. I, I, don't know which side to really attack there. I think maybe the under might be the play. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's how I graded 11 and two to the under in prime time. Yeah.
3: And again, okay. you, you look at the opener and then you only lost if you bet the game at the last yeah, possible that's right. second. That's so right. that's how I under 11 and two under run in prime time games. So this Peter King reports getting a lot of uh traction. And Ursay's a nut. I mean, if, if they
0: struggle and it looks bad, you might have something here with Reich. I think that if it's ugly, to, what if, if, like, for example. Yep. And this team gets off to slow starts every single week. If they're down like thirteen nothing at halftime, and the final score is sure you know twenty three to six, and it's bad, I, that is to me Reich getting canned tomorrow night is a possibility. I I would not put it past you, Mercy, for two seconds. They are again. Go back a month ago. We were all high in the Colts division, possible one seed a player in the AFC, Yes. people were betting them to win the Super Bowl. I didn't get that nuts with them. They are the biggest flop in football to this point. Yeah. So it's he's ticked off at everybody. Ryan,
3: Ballard, Reich. And that's, again, I don't know what your plan B is if it doesn't work out from a quarterback standpoint. You, you blamed Wentz. Oh, it was his fault. Apparently not. Yep. Now you bring Ryan and It hasn't worked out. And he had no business getting the tie week one against Houston. No, they so didn't. they got fortunate that the, they, the Chiefs handed them a gift touchdown to start, and it was the Chiefs just blowing that game. But the other thing is, Denver doesn't have a running back. That's another thing with losing guy. And then I mean,
0: the, the stupid fumbles. These running backs from Denver, hold on to the ball. Yeah. And now, so Mike Boone might have to be the guy tomorrow night? Russ is not getting the tight ends involved. Mm. Uh, the receivers are off to disappointing starts. I know. I bet Judy and Cortland son to have the most receivers. That's no chance. Because their offense is so miserable. But, uh... I'll say this. I mean, if if, if the Broncos lose though, that's big. I know. What do you do with Hackett then? I know. Does he does he just coast until the end of the season? I mean, it's year number one. I get that, but no, the offense was, was not supposed to look like this, and they were
3: supposed to be dangerous and a contender, and it was supposed to be a significant upgrade at coach moving on from Fangio. Yeah. So a seven win team, and now if you lose this one at home, and they they won, but they were pathetic in the Sunday night game against San Francisco. Yeah, I never should have won that game. Defense has been great.
0: Yep, that's it. That's the only thing you can really write home about with that team. Very important game. Let's follow the money here on v the Sports Betting Network. Up next, uh, the best teams in the NFL and college football, ATS, and over-under teams as well. You won't believe how many points on average three teams who are winless against the spread are missing the cover by. We'll run down all the teams and numbers coming up next here on v
3: is follow the money on vcin if you're a college football better VSIN has a new podcast as a must listen the VSIN college football betting podcast releases three episodes every week to prepare you as a better tim murray matt humans adam burke react to lines as soon as they're released cover midweek games discuss line movement give a betting breakdown For every major game on Saturdays, download and subscribe to VEASAN's College Football Betting Podcast today, wherever you get your podcast.
0: And now it's time for a deep dive here on Follow the Money, as VEASAN has a team of experts on every sport who write, post, and join us on VEASAN for their exclusive analysis. And Adam Kramer is that person now. Does a great job writing up the college board every weekend at com. Adam, it's good to talk to you again. How are you, pal? I'm doing well, guys. How are we doing? Do, doing Good, doing sir. well ourselves. I want to throw a lot at you with the Big 12 to begin because in the college betting guide, you threw out Oklahoma State to maybe make a playoff run this year, and they were a huge number. So where do you stand with that right now? Do you like them to win the Big, the Big 12? And I haven't heard, heard a single person make the case for Kansas, an undefeated home dog now by a touchdown this week against TCU. Who do you like in that game?
6: well, I like Oklahoma State a lot more today than I did when they let Central Michigan score 44 points in the opener, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, so so that wasn't exactly a great way to start. But it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting team, and it's a really interesting conference because uh, Spencer Sanders has been really good. The defense has taken a step back. But most importantly, I don't think we knew – you know what the heck Oklahoma State was until at least we saw a game effort against Baylor. It was a wild game. That third quarter was nuts. I was on the over in that, and I, it was not feeling good. And then 15 minutes, everything felt fine again. So I think we'll learn a lot. Um, but still, I, I, nothing is budged. I think in that team. I think the only thing that has changed to like it for the better is Oklahoma is a bit of a mess. Texas is still Texasing, and Baylor isn't quite what we thought. The component that has changed, that you mentioned, is there's more depth in that conference than we thought. And TCU in Kansas suddenly is a more interesting game than the Red River rivalry. Very much more interesting. Um, I'm not going to be the person that campaigns for Kansas, but if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know I feel like I'm carrying the Kansas football is an amazing story bandwagon. It is an amazing story, right? Amazing quarterback, a coach now that's probably going to make a billion dollars in the offseason. Coming from Buffalo to Kansas is going to be a commodity. I just feel like TCU is sort of on an entirely different level. Even against SMU, that game I thought was closer than it actually, in terms of the score, than it actually was. Um, What does crushing oklahoma right now mean i don't know it's been they're down bad after a couple of bad weeks i just think tcu offensively is great and the other concern i have for kansas that iowa state game was fascinating in that you know iowa state should have won missed a handful of field goals, turned the ball over. Hey, Kansas did its thing. It's just offensively, is that a sign of thing to come for Kansas, or are they going to get it back on? Either way, it's a great story. But, yes, I'm a little nervous because it's crowded on the TCU side.
3: Mm-hmm. How about the big matchup in the Rose Bowl with UCLA and Utah, and who do you think is going to win the Pac-12?
6: So, you know, UCLA was a team that I liked. I think the last time I even came on, Talk to you guys. Another team that didn't exactly get off to a great start. Yeah, that South Alabama game, you know, where they almost lost. It's like a fifteen and a half point favorite, and then beating Washington. Now, here's the problem, right? We're at this point in the year, and I have some issues with other teams this week that we're doing with this that we could talk about. Is like. You know, Washington beating up Michigan State, that felt like a really nice moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It doesn't feel like a nice moment anymore, does it? Right. So, what we do is we get these early results and we react to it, and then we decide, hey, this team is certifiably good or not. I think Utah is a cut above. I think Utah's obviously a cut above against everybody when they play at home, which we saw against Oregon State last week. I still like Utah in that matchup. You know, to the conference as a whole, what are we going to get out of USC? Now, I thought the, the win over Oregon State was actually kind of a good thing, that USC could win ugly. They didn't need Caleb Williams to, to dazzle to do it. The issue that you have analytically with USC is they've had so much turnover luck. There's a lot of really fortunate numbers that are going their way, outside of them playing well. I still think Utah, even after the loss to Florida, is the class of that conference.
0: Well, they never should have lost yeah. that game, Adam. Yeah,
6: Oh, it was bad. Really bad loss. Yeah. Yeah. But but still, I think you know this is kind of the, the the Utah mo, right? When you play them at home, they're like you know what you're yeah. going to get. This is a big week. they they got to show it a little bit here to, to kind of prove that they're back in the mix. That
0: so Tennessee opened up a four point favorite at LSU and like every single sharp better that I see, you know, betting this game or whatever market moving is on LSU, the home dog here. Uh, same with you in this matchup.
6: Yes, and this is one of those games. I think somewhere along the way, Tennessee's a lot of fun, and Hooker's really good. Coach has got a great, you know, fun offense. So, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Like, I get it with Tennessee. I get why they'd be a top-ten team now. But when you actually look at the schedule, right, they needed overtime to beat a Pitt team that just lost to a team without a coach, Georgia Tech. That's a really bad loss. So, again, we're trying to figure out early on what does that win at Pitt mean? It felt like a good win, didn't it? Like, hey, all right, overtime. Yeah, right solid but but even in the Florida game which got a little squirrely it wasn't exactly a completely dominant effort it was a fine effort I just think the reputation of Tennessee and actual Tennessee there's a disconnect here Mm. now granted LSU you know starting off against Auburn down a couple of scores wasn't exactly you know that's not exactly a helpful way for me to make my argument for uh, for LSU that was not a pretty start home field Baton Rouge Brian Kelly, really impressive, I think, a couple of weeks later, that Mississippi State win, when you look at how Mississippi State has played since the LSU loss. So, yes, I'm I'm right there with you. I think LSU is a nice play for this weekend for me as well.
3: How confident are you that it's Bama, Georgia, Ohio State locked up three of the playoff spots?
6: You know, I'm less confident than I was a couple of weeks ago. But, I mean, you know, when we, we talked about it before the season began, it was certainly, you know – These were the teams to beat, and they're still the teams to beat. Now, Georgia's leaking oil a little bit. The Missouri game, I don't know, you know, for you, I watched that game. I was concerned because of the line of scrimmage. Georgia wasn't dominant.
0: Yep. Unless for the
6: first, you know, 50 minutes. Like, Missouri was in that. Missouri should have won that game, you could argue. Um, Alabama, I think if Bryce Young is healthy, which is a big if, because when you injure your throwing shoulder, no matter how. Uh, Nick Saban curtails it like that's a huge concern. And is it going to linger? Although granted what like Alabama does, they bring in Milroe the backup, the four-star, and he does a pretty special <laughs> thing. So, <laughs> so, And then, and Ohio state is really the interesting one. You guys know, that's my pick to win the national title. Um, Wisconsin is not a good football team. Uh, Notre no, Dame no. may or may not be an okay football team. So for them, you know, you've got games coming up, I think, and, and Ohio State hasn't been healthy either, by the way. Two of their best players on offense haven't even played. It'd be interesting to see where it starts. I still think ultimately you're in a position where you're trying to plug in another team to that mix. Is it Clemson, USC, Oklahoma State, Penn State, right? Who, who knows? I still think that is the conversation, but it's certainly evolved, and I can't say it's gotten to be stronger than it was before uh, we started talking about it.
3: Two minutes left. I'll put you in charge. What, what should Wisconsin do?
6: Well, they're going to give their interim uh, coach, Jim Leonard, a crack. And I think that's a really good idea because the buzz around college football is that this guy is great, and he has been great. And so what they're going to try out, and I like the plan, is to see if they can do what Notre Dame did to give Marcus Freeman the keys. Now, we'll find out if that's a good idea. It didn't exactly get off to the best start. But I, the things I've heard about Leonard is are really, really positive. And then what I think they're, what they're doing, guys, just from a general standpoint, is getting into the market earlier. It's a trend in college football. You, you, I know it's, it's kind of cliche, but look at all the jobs that have opened up. Look at all the positions that have already opened up. Wisconsin's in a nice favorable position right now when you compare it to the other schools around the country. You're not dealing with an Auburn yet, although that feels like it's going to be week to week. Mm-hmm. You're, you're Wisconsin. So we have not in a, been in a position to see what the value of that job is. I'm a big 10 homer. You guys know that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great campus, great great alumni, great school, great resources. So I think I think they're doing the right thing in giving this guy a crack cuz I think they may be onto something here.
0: Do you like him this weekend against Northwestern?
6: Yeah, I do, I yeah. do. I think they're going to bounce back. There's too much. To, like Brandon Allen, by the way, is just a freak. Yeah. Like at some point, you're going to give this 240-pound Derrick Henry clone a crack, and he'll run for more than two yards, like he did last week. Like that—that's been the most baffling part to me about their season.
0: Mm-hmm. You can follow Adam on Twitter. He is at Kegs and Eggs, and he writes up the board every week at Veasan.com in a very entertaining and uh, logical uh, way. Adam, thanks so much for the time today. We appreciate it. Good luck this week.
6: Appreciate it, guys. Talk soon.
0: Yep. Thank you. I love he. He sprinkles in some humor with his breakdown of the biggest games and runs down like the most important games on the schedule every single week on the write-ups, and uh, he does a great job. He's been doing it for a long, long time. Big fan of his. He's also the guy who's in charge of the Golden Tee tournament that comes out here to Los Angeles, right?
3: So, <laughs> it's awesome. and he, he
0: loves uh, IPAs. So, I mean, come on. There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, what? So, do you? He likes LSU. Everybody likes LSU. I'm on the other side, actually. I yeah. like Tennessee.
3: Yeah. Same with you. I made good points. I know about the pick game, I know. but that's also when you go back and look. They were they were in control against Florida, uh, and then they let it you know get hairy there late. But i watching that game. LSU had no offense. It was just more Auburn stunking after yeah. the first quarter in that game. And Tennessee's coming off the bye. Yeah,
0: but then again, the LSU nice. should be five and oh. I'll be very they, well. They shouldn't have be. lost the Florida State game. We will get into uh, Major League Baseball coming up next. Recap a little bit what happened last night. Wow. Uh, by the way, it's been brought to our attention. There is drama today with at least one win total, oh. maybe more than that. We'll give you the details coming up next on Follow the Money. It's VSIN, the sports betting network.
3: This is Follow the Money on VSIN. All season long, BetRivers, your go-to book, all football-related content. Check out BetRivers.com or download the app for the latest odds, promotions, player props, and more every week. BetRivers has great football specials up. you win big. Cheer on your favorite teams and favorite players with BetRivers. It's a whole new game. Used to be an intern at WFAN. Now he's the best play-by-play guy out there, and he does it all and covers he does the Nets, <laughs> Westwood One, CBS. He's the GOAT. Ian Eagle joins us now talk a little world of sports. How are you, sir?
7: Hey, guys. Good morning.
3: Thanks for the time, as always. Uh, have you ever, in light of what happened yesterday with Judge, have you ever had a chance to call an iconic record or a player who was going to break a record when you had time to think about it and prepare?
7: Yeah, you you get in those situations. Obviously, on the team side, Brooke Lopez broke the Nets' all-time scoring record, which uh, I, I think if you polled most people, there's no possible way they... They would know that Brooke Lopez is the all time leading scorer in Nets history, but he is. And there was a, a build up there. The team was not very good that year. So there, there really was a sense of, okay, this is going to happen. You have to be mentally ready for that to, to take place. Is that going to live on forever? Is that going to be played on uh, TV highlight reels for the rest of time? No. So I, I don't think the same level of pressure as a broadcaster is felt. I had the Peyton Manning touchdown record it was in houston if memory serves correct and uh, you just don't know when it's going to come is it going to come on uh, traditional play is it going to come on uh, some odd gadget play Mm. but felt good about it was on top of it you have an idea of what you want to say you have a sense of a game plan but it's not one of those uh, where you script it out word for word you're going to you're going to fall into a trap in that situation if you end up going Mm -hmm. along those lines,
3: probably. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, You were phenomenal on the Bills game. What a finish. Uh, What did you think of Harbaugh's decision to pass on the field goal there? Yeah, it's interesting. I'd say like
7: 2019, I remember that was a shift in Coach Harbaugh's mentality where the analytics – became much more a part of the equation than they had in previous years. And there was a particular game, they were in Kansas City. I don't know if you guys remember it, but he went for it on fourth down a couple of times. Uh, he elected to go for a two-point conversion early, uh, just to, to try to pad the numbers, And he was asked about it after the game, and it was the first time that that he really acknowledged that they think about these things, they talk about them, they have people on staff, that that's their job to deal with them. And I get it. I understand that uh, you want to play out every scenario. That's the job of a head coach, to to be prepared for every situation. And clearly, if it doesn't go your way, you're going to face scrutiny. My gut feeling in the moment was hey take the points this is Mm -hmm, a wild game it's Mm -hmm. pouring out the conditions are bad the wind is a factor Uh, you just had this long drive came close to getting the touchdown but feel good about the lead and now trust your defense in the final four minutes of the game to at least hold them to a field goal but force buffalo into some sense of pressure and tension as opposed to a tie game where The Bills were kind of loosey-goosey, and then they just manipulated the clock the rest of the way. And I think there was that moment leading the game where I'm not sure if Buffalo was thinking, hey, let's go down here to make sure that we control the clock. I certainly think part of the Baltimore defense was looking to let Singletary score, and then Ofe tried to knock the ball away, and uh, as we know, it, it didn't work out. So... Look, in those situations, you're going to hear it one way or the other. You've got to feel good with your decision. The only issue I have with the analytics reasoning after games, it usually is when you lose. You're talking about it.
6: Yeah, it's right.
7: not when you win. You're it's right. usually yeah. when you lose the game. you you sit, You tend to then... Uh, use that as the reasoning behind why a decision was made.
0: That's a great call. Yep. Let's follow the money here on Veasan, the sports betting network. The great Ian Eagle, our guest, you get to see up close and personal a couple of games every single week, calling the play-by-play for these in the National Football League. Um, we have Michael Lombardi uh, as a host now on this network. He's been here for you yep. know a-, a long time, former longtime uh, NFL executive, anyway. Yep. And he's he, great. He's he, great. He's awesome. And he, so we asked him this week why he thinks the scoring is down across the league this year. He said in his opinion it's bad quarterback play. Would you have any speculation or analysis on why you think maybe we're not getting as, you know, many points scored per per Sunday as we were in years past?
7: Yeah, I mean that's a great point. I do think we we tend to forget that there is a certain number that uh, we, we see every year in the NFL of guys, a finite number, by the way, that can play quarterback at the highest level and do it at an exceptional level to win consistently. There are guys that are good, and then there are guys that are great, that change the game. And there's only a certain number of those guys. So if, if your quarterback play is off just a bit, it affects your entire offense. And one play here, two plays there, uh, you look up, you go, you say, how do we scored 13 points? What, what happened here? Mm-hmm. The the fact of the matter for me has been, uh, I do think the preseason only two games uh, is, is playing a role now that, that you see starters in that you don't get a rhythm. And even then they're playing a half. So they're playing three preseason games. One of the games, the coaches are punting entirely. And you might hear, yeah, we're, we're good, we'll cover it in practice, it'll be fine. It's not the same. It truly is not the same, and it's not the same when you're going against your guys in a scout team. It, you can't compare it. So uh, all of that, the execution level, I, I do believe, has not been as good on the offensive side of the ball the last couple of years in particular. I don't know if this is a little bit of a hangover from uh, – from, what took place with with COVID, where everybody was just off a bit in their practice schedule, in their interaction, and in their building of chemistry, which is such an important part of offense, probably more than any other sport. If you don't have it synchronized, if you don't have it down, you don't succeed. Even the best players in the world in football, there still has to be the repetition that gets you into that place where mm-hmm. you could do it in your sleep. And maybe we have lost a little bit of that in the last two years.
3: Say, yep, I think that's another great answer. Uh, three minutes left. Well, speaking of chemistry, how about the Nets? Uh, what <laughs> what are we looking at here? What are we in store for with the next six months here with the Nets?
7: Ah, uh, The perfect transition. Yeah, I, I think they went through a very awkward, uncomfortable season last year. And the idea that uh, – it's just going to be worse this year is probably not realistic because I don't think it can feel and get worse. It wasn't working. It was disjointed and it showed certainly in the playoffs when they got to the biggest moment of the year, they they couldn't come together and make it happen. I think they got a lot of stuff out on the table and the, the meeting that took place between Kevin Durant, ownership, GM, coach, they all looked each other in the eye and they, they made their peace. So that's a really good starting point for 22, 23 Kyrie Irving contract year Durant baller, Ben Simmons, seemingly revitalized healthy as of right now, though they need to get Seth Curry back, TJ Warren back. My point is I know they're a mystery and they're probably the most mysterious team in the league going into the season. There's some good positive will that's been formed over the last few weeks. Does that actually trickle down into the season? We don't know. But from a basketball standpoint, I think they're going to be intriguing with those three Mm -hmm. guys and with Ben not having the weight of the world on his shoulders. That's why he's got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving there. So I think he's going to be able to do his thing without feeling that constant pressure that he felt in Philadelphia.
3: Uh, You're you're great at what you do, and every... Analysts you work with, you make them look good, and you have a great rapport with them. Uh, you're excellent at your job, and thanks for a few minutes.
7: Hey, guys. I, I really enjoy it. I appreciate coming on with you. Whenever I'm feeling you know a little bit down in the dumps, I'm just going to call. going to call <laughs> into like the it. number, and I'll just have you <laughs> tell me that again. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, appreciate the reminder. Yeah.
0: Remember what you guys told me in October of 2022 that one time? Can you say that again to me? <laughs> <laughs>
7: <laughs> I'm taping the conversation. We're good.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah. All right, uh, great to talk to you as always. Thank you, sir. All right, guys. See ya.
3: Yeah. Hot dog yep. on us when you come out. Uh, I-, I loved him. Uh, the-, the rapport he had in the bubble with Van Gundy—they they were awesome. Tremendous. I mean, it. Tremendous. Great job. The guy's uh, so good. Yep. Uh, and I-, I, Bill Simmons, I think said it the other day. If you have a strong opinion on what the Nets are going to do, you- no way. If someone's going to tell you what you expect out of the Nets this season, I mean, who knows what's going to happen.
0: Anywhere from a win total standpoint, I mean anywhere from a top three seed to yeah. uh, I don't know play in, yeah, maybe a six in that range. I really don't know. You want? Yeah. Would you go? What would you be more inclined to bet the over or under their win total? I just uh, under because of that's right. what I would think too. So you don't
3: know about Simmons. You don't know about Kyrie. Durant's injury prone. Yep. In the East is stacked. We'll get to the uh,
0: pro tip of the hour coming up. Uh, in the next hour, and also VP of Circa Casino, Mike Palm's gonna join us in studio. Contest updates, and something in the gambling world went super viral. What happened? We'll try to have him explain coming up next.
3: It's game time, baby! And you're just lying there, watching on the couch? Uh Uh-uh, that's not going to cut it. You need to get in the game with BetRivers Sportsbook. There
6: you go. Now you're live in the action. Live in-game bets, live player props,
0: and live player props, and live player props, and live player props.
6: So you always follow. Yeah, the money. yeah.
1: This is Follow the Money with Mitch Moss and Polly Howard on VSEN.
3: DraftKings Sportsbook official sports betting partner of the NFL, and this season new customers can bet five dollars and win two hundred free bets instantly. Download the app, use code VSIN. It's that easy when you sign up. VSIN got to be twenty-one. DraftKings.com for full details.
0: Here we go. Full hour, locked and loaded with the maestro. Mike Palm is the VP of Circa Sports in downtown Las Vegas, along with the Golden
8: Gate and the D. Uh, good morning, sir. How are you today? Good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good Mike. morning, Westerly, Rhode Island. All of our loyal Nesson family that's watching Evergreen Park, Illinois, Peekaboo Marquee. We see you, Brandon Manitoba, watching on Roger Sportsnet. Oh, Canada McMurray, Pennsylvania, in the Pittsburgh area on AT&T, and it's a long day living in Reseda, California, sunrise over spectrum. No,
0: there we go. As always, <laughs> very good. Let's begin here with the pro tip that we didn't get to last hour, but we'll Oof. start with the pro tip of this we hour. You've got to double
8: up this hour then contractually. It too.
0: Sure. Um, and this this is coming from me specifically. I, I think I realize this year I'm no longer going to bet specific season-long leader props. For example, most Ks, most hits, most stolen bases – and the reason why is, I can't in Las Vegas I can't get out of them, and I like to be able to maybe lock in a profit. I had Rodon 50 to 1 most strikeouts. The only way I could possibly get out of that was to bet Garrett Cole, individual game props over. But that might I might lose both bets then. So I don't like it. I my advice I told myself this now I'm not going to do it anymore. And you can get all these available at uh, Veasan.com.
8: Pro tips every single hour. What say you on that pro tip? I will not make a bet that I can't take a position off of. Or I don't like to say hedging. I think hedging is the wrong word. I think the word is monetizing your position. Like, you know, I know you guys had a discussion yesterday. Paul early on liked the Mets to win the East before the season. You talked about it. We we talked about it because I like the Phillies. We're trying to beat the Braves. You like the Mets. You were there with the Mets. You got yourself in a great position with their big lead. And then you monetize the bet by taking the Braves. It wasn't a position where you didn't believe in the Mets anymore, but you monetized your ticket in case the impossible happened. And it sure did. Not only did they blow the big lead, they have to blow all three games in Atlanta with their top three pitchers. And they did. So it's, it's monetizing it. It's, I won't bet a game anymore that doesn't have end game. This is why it's important for sports books to have consistency. If you consistently know they're going to book end game, if they're haphazard, then you can't even make a pre-flop bet. I don't want to be stuck for 90 minutes or two hours with a bet I can't get out of. You know, the, the Cy Young markets weren't as good as they are now, where they still, you know, you can still get them to September 1st sure. in most places. You know, I had my aid at 125 to 1 to Bieber three years ago. He finished his second. But at that point, there was no way I could get off the ticket in September. So what did I have to do? I had to keep beating Bieber every start. Right, I just bet Bieber, bet Bieber, bet mm-hmm. and I had to lay two to one, two ten, two twenty. Yeah. But that's the only way I could hedge the ticket, you know, and hope that Bieber blew up. But as he kept going, he, he became right. the unanimous I Young. So you love betting soccer, mm-hmm. and I think mean, yesterday was maybe an example of that. Yeah. If you
0: notice, a soccer game is not going to be mapped <laughs> or listed on the in-play. You're off.
8: Well, you have to hope that early in the day there's an in-play game because then when there's one in-play game, it lists the others that are going to be in-play. It used to be every game was in-play, but now it's a select menu. I mean, we only had two Champions League games that were, were in play here in town yesterday, uh, or at least that you could get a bet down on it, and and one Championship League game in England where, you know, two years ago you would have had seven games in the Champions League and whatever there were, six or seven games in Champions So, But if you don't know and there hasn't been an game in-game offered yet, then I have to wait to bet the first in-game number till it posts. Yep. I don't want to get stuck in that position. Yep. I want to be able to lock in a profit as early
0: as I can. I'll give you an example. Uh, mm. Betting baseball a couple of years ago, when it came to our attention that the Guardian schedule, at the time the Indians schedule, was, they were way back of the Twins, I believe, yeah. at the time, right? Yes. And it 12, opened up for the next time. two months. They were going to catch up the, to the Twins, and they were going to make up like a 12-game deficit, right? And they were a huge number to win the division. Well, if you bet the Indians at the time at that huge number, hoping they would make up that deficit, which they did, by the way, when they made it up and eventually tied the Twins, you could have found the Twins around even money. And that's exactly what happened, and it worked out beautifully.
8: So this was the thing, and I didn't pull the trigger early enough, but my biggest baseball bet of the year, and I bet 100 200 on different Cy Youngs or this, I bet a $3,000 three-team division prop. Dodgers, Astros, Brewers. We talked about this before the year started. You know the Brewers, the Brewers were up four or five games on the Cardinals. You could have got the Cardinals plus two fifty, plus three dollars to hedge that bet. It was clear the Dodgers and Astros were winning yep. their divisions, yes. right? I, I I waited too long and I only got plus one thirty five on the Cardinals as as the hedge. Although I should have made should have made the the, the three teamer the hedge, right? Because the, the Brewers were were circling the drain quick, and then when they traded Hader, it was sort of flag, a white flag at, at that point, raising the white flag. But you have to be able to do that. You're almost, I almost say you make a bet in order to be able to take the other side at some point. Mm-hmm. You're also very good
0: at mm-hmm. uh, finding spots to bet round robins. And so we brought this up yesterday. I think you're probably better than we are at explaining round robins as well. Uh, I thought yesterday was a good spot to bet some round robins in baseball. By twos and threes, if the Diamondbacks got there last night, everything gets there in Major League Baseball for us, and it would have been a huge day. They didn't, but betting a round robin and not a straight parlay was the reason why as threes they came in.
8: Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're betting around Robin, which is a permutation of, of parlays, you know, you bet four teams and then you can pick how many ways you want all the two team parlays, all the three teams, you know, the six twos, the four threes. And do you want the, the four team or there's 11 different ways you can bet it. Yep. And it goes up as it goes on. Always set one game out late. That's later than the rest that you don't have undecided results in two games at the same time. So you can't make a, a clear monetization of your ticket. Um, I like to do it when there's a certain theory that you're following. Um,
3: when you cleaned up with the hockey.
8: Well, that was all on the theory of off the, the bike. You bet the team that has already played a game off their winter break versus yeah. a team that has not played yet, uh-huh. and that's how I hit that eight-team round robin just using that theory. Now it got done. I had six in, and I had the two last games. I end up hedging off about twenty-seven thousand, but still made about eighty on the ticket, right? Because. It, mm-hmm. it all eight of them hit. Yeah, all eight. The, the theory's been over ninety percent the last few years. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's incredibly strong.
0: So when yeah. you would play an eight-team round robin, mm-hmm. where, how many how many legs are you
8: actually playing of that bet? I always play all the twos, right? So how do you know how many twos there are? Eight times seven divided by two. It's a permutation, a mathematical. So there's 28 That's 28, twos. Twenty-eight, yeah. I generally will play all the twos, and then I'll play either the sixes and sevens, or the sevens and the eight. In that case, I played the twos, the sixes, the sevens, and I didn't play an eight. Oh, the two sixes and sevens. Oh, there was a ton of bets. Oh, I only bet it for fifty dollars away. And how many? So it pa- oh. paid over. It, it paid over. It was like a hundred and four thousand. And how many bets that, overall was that it, it, though, at fifty dollars pop? Oh, it was. It was the ticket was like four thousand dollars. Okay.
0: All yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was betting yesterday round robins like by twos and threes. Fourteen round robins. I never played the four. Uh I played twos Mm -hmm. and threes. So ten ten ways. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, and I also played only threes on one of them as well. Uh huh. So that was my theory yesterday, going in with. Again, it was just like Phillies won the night before. What did they care about the game yesterday? Well, they didn't want to win yesterday. They didn't want to win. He and
8: I had a long phone conversation yesterday about why would you want to go to New York? You don't want to go to. I don't know why the Padres were winning once they clinched. Yeah. Why do you want to go to New York? They can't go to New York. That Phillies of all things. And the lineup they put out there last night looked like they didn't want to win. Absolutely, yes. Mm And they were no hit into the ninth. Yeah, (laughs) very
3: good. Uh, I saw Chris Piper here the other day. At 4 a.m., he was in the gift shop. He hasn't left. He's 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 going to be here all weekend. And he's on the
8: show front. Derek's having some uh, reunion of (laughs) all the champions from last year, right? All the guys that did well, there's four or five of them coming out. Derbify and Piper and all these guys. I know Piper's been here, I think, since Tuesday. Piper
3: hanging out, having a good time. Piper had 30 entries. He's down to one. What's he got? One left. That's it.
8: Can't get the survivor no. empathy. No, no, no. yeah, completely out. Of, tell people about this. I saw this, the video. This is, on a, this is really incredible. Yeah. So Derek, he was so upset. All these people got knocked out, right? He was. He, it, let's be honest. He got knocked out. His survivor back home that he's been playing in for eighty-five years or whatever he claims, <laughs> that ended on week two. Yes. Only one person was left after week two. What? So yeah. he he was sick about it, right? And all this. So the first theory he had was, well, let's start a, Let's do another Survivor for people that got knocked out. Well, how can you? Everybody has to come back to Las Vegas. That's the problem. Yeah. Can't guarantee a big... So he says, so let's do something. So we created a thing where they get a free hotel room and a day bed at, at Stadium Swim. Um, so it's Monday through Thursday, November 7th through January 5th. Uh, if you did three or more entries, you get three free nights at any of the three hotels. If you did two or one entries, two nights. And you also get a day bed at, at Stadium Swim. So if you wanted to, Monday night football, Thursday night football... But we said you had to be knocked out, not still in. I think we're at like 72 people have booked the trip. You fill out a form online. Jeff Benson's team confirms you were there, and then they call you and book your, your stay for you, hit the sportsbook. Okay. Beautiful. So I'm out. I get four entries. I get three nights now? Yes. Yeah. Oh. You, get, you get three nights. But how about the people like... Oh, it's it, awesome. How A guy had four entries. He's got two left. He's outraged. He doesn't get the package. Well, the package is for people who are. He's very angry, Derek. How could he get screwed like this? It's uh, it's amazing human beings. (laughs) They're really the strong (laughs) complaints about this. That's Uh, like saying, why is Derek given to Catholic charities? He could be given to me. I I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. he has two left. <laughs> yeah. And he's mad. outraged because two of his are out. So yeah, why wouldn't yeah. he get the two nights in the day? Uh, yeah. Okay, I'll trade yeah. spots with that guy. Yeah, exactly. You, you want you to take the free my rooms? nights? I'll take... I'll take... <laughs> three nights. Yeah. You can have
0: all three nights. I'll take the two, two survivor entries. <laughs> it's engines. like
3: the pandemic. I'll pay for your flight. Well, can you at least stay at my hotel? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> oh, That's right? right. Oh, good oh, recall, Paul. Terrible. On that. Terrible. I'm booking your plane right to I come out here. Awesome. Can you stay at my hotel yeah. at least now? <laughs> These some
8: people, I know unbelievable. It's a great offer. Yeah.
3: Excellent job. That's really gonna take off. How many people? Seventy two? I think
8: seventy-two, and we just I think we put it out last Thursday. Good job. Mm.
3: Oh, you were texting
8: me. If the Packers went down, we'd
3: we'd be down down to to like five thirty, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Then what have we not two weeks ago? Your bet about
8: not making Christmas would have been a huge favor. Absolutely. Yeah, at this point it would have been five (sighs) thirty. And if the
3: Vikings don't hang on against the Lions and come back, we're down to three hundred.
0: Yeah. Think about that. He's got a, he's, he's got Paul. He's got a buddy telling him this is the week to use the bills. I don't, yeah, I don't. Don't you
3: have to save that. him for
8: Thanksgiving? I think Cause
3: they're not going to punt if they play the lions, right?
8: I think you have to save them for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean, the thought process, too, is people won't use them, and maybe there's. But don't you chaos want it?
8: You're down despite. to 20 people on Thanksgiving. Don't you want to have the bills in your pocket? I kind of would a, like to have that. Yeah, here. I'd like to. And yeah. if you want to hedge, you, you get you can take the points or the money line yep. on the Lions. Do another right?
0: good call. Uh-uh. Yep. Another good call. The biggest gaffes of the previous week up next with no hyperbole here on Follow the Money. It's Visa and the Sports Betting Network.
3: said Temp- temperature might be cooling our fall is. sports heating up at bet Rivers online sports book your go-to book all the latest lines odds and boosts for pro football college basketball and hockey now is the perfect time to join bet Rivers. new bettors will receive up to 500 in free bets when you make a first-time deposit use the code sports go to BetRivers.com or download the app today it's a whole new game. Let's rumble.
1: No bias. You will respect my authority. No pulled punches. Your wife cheated on you because you lost sight of who you are as a man, as a husband. <laughs> no agenda. There is no fear in this dojo. This is no hyperbole.
5: This is
0: the best part of the week. Here's
5: the maestro, Mike Bomb. I am the smartest man alive.
8: <laughs> All right, here we go. Number five, Insane in the thumb Pain. Last Tuesday night at Citi Field in New York, the Mets took on a Marlins in a game that could be circled as one of the reasons why the East was lost. Trailing 6-3 and with two outs in the bottom of the eighth, Mets second baseman Jeff McNeil reached on an infield single against Marlins reliever Richard Blyer. During the next at-bat to first baseman Pete Alonzo, Blyer was called for not one, not two, but three consecutive balks by first base umpire John Tampaine bringing McNeil around to score. Blyer became the first pitcher since Pirates' Jim Gott in 1988 to be called for three balks in one inning. In 303 big league appearances before Tuesday, Blyer had never been called for a balk. After the game, Blyer said, words cannot describe what happened to that inning. I don't know, it was wild. It's the same move I've been using for 300 innings, and here we are. I watched the video and I completely disagree. Tampain called it for not coming to a complete stop. You may remember John Tampain, who became a full-time Major League Baseball umpire in 2016 for a fateful afternoon in Pittsburgh on June 28, 2017. That afternoon, Tampain was out taking a stroll when he noticed a woman climbing over a railing above the Allegheny River. Tampain rushed over and locked both of his arms around the woman's back. He told the woman he cared about her and she would be all right. The woman told Tumpane, quote, I want to end it, I want to be in a better place. At times she dangled both feet off the bridge's edge, putting her full weight on Tumpane's arms. But Tumpane prevented her from falling to the river until police and an ambulance arrived and helped lift her back over the railing. Since that day, the Pirates are 330 and 457, a 419 winning percentage. A better place, no. Number four. Hail Mary challenges. As 689 Circus Survivor entries held their breath into the fourth quarter at Lambeau on Sunday, the 10-point favorite Packers were tied at 24 with the New England Patriots. Green Bay faced third and eight from the Patriots 40 with just over two minutes remaining. Aaron Rodgers connected with Romeo Dubs in the end zone, but Dubs failed to maintain possession of the ball as he hit the ground and the ball touched the ground. The officials correctly ruled the pass incomplete. On the Packers' sideline, head coach Matt LaFleur was ruminating over challenging the call. Assistant quarterback coach Connor Lewis had seen the replay and was in LaFleur's headset telling him not to challenge. The situation was obvious. The Packers had to punt to the Patriots, having two timeouts. If they force a three-and-out, the worst-case scenario is they get the ball near midfield with a minute to go. An unsuccessful challenge would mean the Patriots could essentially run out the clock before overtime. And yet Lafleur challenged. Excuse me. The Packers pinned the Patriots at their own two. The Patriots ran the ball three times and punted back to the Packers with less than 10 seconds remaining. The game headed to overtime where New England took over at midfield after a Packers punt, but stalled and punted on fourth and five from the Packers 46. 12 plays later, Mason Crosby kicked a 31 yard field goal as overtime expired to give the Packers a 27-24 victory. Why did Lafleur challenge? After the game, he said, I'm not too proud of that moment. It was an emotional decision, but a great learning lesson. You can never make the emotional decisions in the heat of battle. You know better. You have to survive the Brown. Connor Lewis, he's up in the box. He's in my ear telling me I don't think so. He said we shouldn't challenge. I just made an emotional decision. It was almost like throwing a Hail Mary. That could have came back to bite us in the butt. I'd rather learn from that being on this side. Thank God our guys bailed me out. Definitely my worst decision of the day. Maybe Matt LaFleur should worry more about trusting his coaches and making rational decisions than firing up the Packer fans and being their head cheerleader. His offense looked lost for most of the day against the Patriots defense that gave up 37 to the Ravens. Number three, PJ rowed the boat aground. I've given Minnesota's P.J. Fleck credit for being the best game manager in football, not just in college football, but the NFL as well. The game in Minneapolis on Saturday against Purdue has me questioning my assertion. Let's start out with the very first thing about that game that troubled me, a game that I cashed an under under 52 ticket on. Mm -hmm. 21st ranked Minnesota was a 12 point favorite throughout the week. When it was announced on Friday that Boiler's quarterback Aiden O'Connell would return to the lineup after a one-game absence, the line dropped to 9.5. At no point during the week did anyone out of the Minnesota camp, or anyone else for that matter, suggest that gopher's tailback Mohamed Ibrahim would not be available to play in the game after suffering a very minor ankle injury the week before. He was listed on no injury reports. Flex said after the game, "Mo was close to going, I thought he might go, but we're always going to be on the safe side with our players. Now on to the game. Trailing 7-0 with 3.45 remaining in the first quarter, Minnesota faced 4th and 1 from their own 29-yard line. Fleck decided to go for it and bought in backup quarterback Cole Kramer to try to make the line to gain. It didn't happen as Kramer was pushed back and the Gophers took over in field goal range. They tacked on three more points to take a 10-0 lead and would win the game 20-10. Fleck said after the game, quote, I felt like we needed to do something. It only cost us three points, but it was worth it. I would do it again. We have to be able to get fourth and one. We have to get something moving. What? So what if you make it? You have first down and 10 on your own 30. How is that momentum? The reward to risk profile just isn't there. I need to revise my previous statement. Fleck may be the best game manager with a lead. He is brilliant at taking the clock down to nothing in the fourth quarter by calling a disciplined game and using every second of the play clock. But when he isn't on the choo-choo, it's a whole different ballgame. That is the reason why he's 2-19 when his teams trail at halftime. Oh. Number two, Houston, we have a problem. Friday night, the Tulane Green Wave took on the University of Houston Cougars in Texas. Even though Tulane was on its third-string quarterback, the game went to overtime tied at 21. Houston won the toss and elected to go on offense. The Cougars gained seven yards on three plays and facing fourth and three from the from the 18, kicked a 36-yard field goal. Tulane took three plays to get into the end zone and won the game 27-24. Why would Houston coach Dana Holgerson elect to go on offense first in overtime? Well, let's listen to him explain.
6: We went back over the last six years, uh, and uh, over the last six years, 54% of the teams that had the ball first won, okay? Over the last three years, 56% of the teams uh, that had the ball first won. I think that's enough to move in the needle. You know, so everybody's like, well, you can't do that. Well, what do you mean you can't do that? They give us an option to be able to do it. So the analytics, say do it. Um, I'm, I'm uh, <clears throat> not worried about the perception of not doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, you know, uh, unconventional ways of doing things give you better odds of being able to be successful. I'm gonna do it. And if there's
8: criticism involved in it, then I don't care. To refute Holgerson's logic, I'd like to call on Baltimore Ravens head coach, John Harbaugh, explaining why he didn't elect to kick a field goal on fourth and goal from the two, tied with Buffalo 2020, with just over four minutes remaining on Sunday.
3: Well, I, th- I felt like it gave us the best chance to win the game because seven, the worst that happens is if they go down the field and score, and I think we'll get them stopped, but if they go down the field and score a touchdown, the worst thing that can happen is that you're in overtime. But you kick a field goal there now it's not a three down game anymore, it's a four down game and you're, you're putting them out there, you're putting your defense at a disadvantage because they've got four downs to convert all the way down the field and a chance to again score seven and then you you lose the game on a touchdown. So and then the worst thing, the other thing, you think you're going to get the ball at the two yard line. So I'm very confident in our defense, defense's ability to stop them down there with the ball on the two yard line. So we got them backed up. If we don't get it, it didn't turn out that way, unfortunately, and we lost the game. So hindsight, you could take the points. but. If you look at it analytically, I understand why we did it.
8: Well said, Coach Harbaugh. Could you give Coach Holgerson a call? And number one, for the love of Christ. On Sunday night, the (laughs) University of Wisconsin announced it had fired head coach Paul (laughs) Christ during his eighth season on the job. Defensive coordinator Jim Leonard was named interim coach. Wisconsin was off to a two and three start to the campaign, including upset home losses to Washington State and Illinois. But did Wisconsin make the right decision in firing Christ? He was 67 and 26 at Wisconsin, 43 and 18 in Big Ten play. Bo Pelini was 67 and 27 at Nebraska, 39 and 17 in conference. Jim Harpaugh, who started at Michigan the same year Chris did at Wisconsin in 2015, 66 and 24, 44 and 17 in the Big Ten. And since 2015 at Iowa, Kurt Ferentz, 67, 66 and 27 and 43 and 20 in Big Ten play. How about bowl records? Polini and three, and three 3-3, Harbaugh 1-5. Chris was 6-1 in bowls. His only loss to the Justin Herbert-led Oregon Ducks in the Rose Bowl in a game marred by an offensive pass interference against Wisconsin on a game-winning drive, a possible game-winning drive. Chris' record compares favorably to all three, but let's throw out the Harbaugh comparison. Chris didn't make a playoff and doesn't have the NFL pedigree. Let's also draw a line through Polina. Nebraska's football expectations certainly exceed Wisconsin's.
2: What? Oh.